You're listening to The Promise of Personalized Medicine, brought to you by Axis DX. This is a show for the lab professionals and medical directors who bring forward novel diagnostic tests to advance modern medicine. Let's dive into the conversation. Uh, Carmen, thank you so much for joining us on uh, the podcast. really appreciate all your insights. I'm glad to be here, Perry. I'm flattered that you asked. Carmen, let me ask you about price transparency. I mean, um, in D.C., they just uh, uh, passed a no-surprise bill, which uh, was bipartisan. And basically, the, the, the intent is to help protect all of us, right, with uh, what they call surprise bills. And, um, you know, healthcare is not the most transparent industry out there. So what's your view on price transparency when it comes to healthcare and and what things should we be, be willing to do? I think it's important to have price transparency. I also think it's important to do it in real time and to have it be truthful. So when they say no surprises, does that mean no surprises to the insurance company or no surprises to the consumer? Because you get an EOB every day that says the cost of this biopsy was $17,000 and $800, you know, and you look at that and you go, oh my God, I don't have $17,000. But then underneath there, it says your insurance covered $4,000 of this and you don't owe any part of that. So why are you billing $17,000 when you know that only 4,000 of that gets covered? Right. So, so is it really transparent or is it just one of those gotchas where if you're paying cash, they can bill you 17,000 and then it goes to their, you know, in-house creditors who work out a deal with you and they say, okay, well, if you pay it right now, we'll pay, we'll, we'll charge you, you'll get a, you'll get a 50% discount. You only have to pay 7,500. Right. Okay. But the insurance company always has to pay 4,000. So if the real cost is four thousand, then let's charge everybody four thousand dollars, right? Simplify the system. Yeah, what you're saying is simplify the system by the um, the charge amount really should be the more closely aligned with realistic allowables, right? Because a list price charging something for eighteen thousand dollars, like your example knowing that you're only going to get $4,000 from the health plan, well, why are you charging $18,000 for it? Well, here's the thing. We have to start running, stop running medicine like it's a business. I know that that is... Crazy talk. A sin. It's a sin, okay? Blasphemy, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it sort of reminds you of you go buy a car... And they list, they've got some ridiculous MRSRP or whatever they call it. And you know that as soon as you walk in, they're going to say, oh, look, our price is already $10,000 less than the MSRP. Oh, and wait, I'm going to go talk to my manager and I'm sure he'll give me another $2,000 off and we'll throw in, you know, floor mats and, uh, you know, this special car radio and, 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 a, and, and, and a wax job that protects your vehicle for 10 years. And I'm making all that up. But you get my point, right? That it's this, you know, like how many ads do you get every day in your inbox that say, you know, buy this today and it is discounted 50%, but only today. 
and three days from now you get the same email from the same company that says we've extended our sale and you can still get whatever it is at 50% off. Okay, medicine should not be that. We have taken medicine to its lowest common denominator and it shouldn't be a sales job. This is a serious thing and we should treat it like it's a serious thing. Right. So when it comes to, I mean, cost for healthcare, since we're, as individuals, we're paying more for our healthcare, um, having realistic pricing and sharing that pricing, I guess, is what you're saying? Yes. I think that it's reasonable for there to be a cost share so that people aren't doing silly things. Right. Right? Yeah. And the, I mean, yeah. you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be going to the emergency room at 6 p.m., because you didn't go see your doctor's pediatrician from nine to five. That, that is not the best use of our resources. And so in the old days, they tried to gouge you for that. But now it's, it's, it doesn't, why bother? Because you're still not going to get paid, right? The, 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 the average blue collar worker can't afford $1,000 to walk in. And that bill is not going to get paid. So why bill right. it? Yeah, that makes sense. And that goes towards like proper utilization of the system itself, right? So when you think of it um, with lab testing and proper utilization, I guess that's where prior authorizations come into place, right? Because the health plan's trying to uh, monitor that the members are getting the right tests and only those members. Right. So... Let me give a, a an easy example in our current world. COVID-19. There's a drug called Paxlovid. If you get COVID and you're in a certain uh, health group, risk group, we write you a prescription and the government pays for Paxlovid. It's covered immediately. But we should have a right, if we're going to pay for it, to monitor who we give this to. So does your 16-year-old, your healthy 16-year-old really need Paxlovid? Probably not, Perry. If he's not asthmatic, if he doesn't have, he, you know, he didn't have leukemia when he was four. Now, if you get a 60-year-old who has got COPD, diabetes, congestive heart failure, blah, 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 that's the guy who we need to be paying Paxlovid for. Right. That makes perfect sense. So let's not, you know, that's what we mean by proper, and that's a very exaggerated view, but it's one that I think right now is very clear to everybody. Who should we be testing and why? Most young people are now basically, it's endemic. If I get it, I get it, and I don't even care anymore. Getting the 20-somethings and 30-somethings to isolate is, it's not happening. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's a good example. Once a quarter, AccessDX gathers a group of medical directors to advise laboratory innovators and to stay current on the ever-evolving trends in medical advancements. We'd love to partner with more medical directors so that you can help influence the next generation of modern medicine. If you're interested, please send a quick email to info at accessdx.com and connect with us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash accessdx. And now, back to the podcast. I have another question for you. So if you look at, um, there's 
many factors that um, allow a company to, to be successful in getting uh, positive medical coverage from a health plan. So let me list out a couple of those things, factors, and you tell me which factor is the higher priority ones, in your opinion. Uh, the first one is clinical utility of the test, positive tech assessments from Hayes or Eckery or whomever, clinical guidelines, the test is in clinical guidelines, physician adoption, and how about uh, competitive landscape, meaning there's another health plan in your region that is now covering the test. So that's why, you know, the health plan feels, you know, pressure in covering that test. So out of those, how would you rank those? Clinical utility, tech assessment, clinical guidelines, physician adoption, and competitive? Well, the first one is it has to appear in the guidelines. If you're in the guidelines and you're literally the companion test for some therapy, that is going to get you immediate. So guidelines is, is number one for you. Number okay. one. If you have, and, and it's particularly in the world of Medicare, NCDs and LCDs rule mm -hmm. the world. Next, MCG, NCCN. And NCCN is creeping up there, right there with MCG and LCDs. So much so that when the IRE writes back to us from a denial, they will say that although this is not covered in the NCDs or not advocated by the NCDs, it is advocated by NCCN, and therefore we are agreeing with the member that this therapy should be paid for, blah, blah, blah. So those guidelines are, I think, extremely important. If you can get yourself listed in there as a companion test or even as a so what happens is that branding happens there too, Perry. Uh, you go to the store and you tell your kids to bring back a bottle of Clorox, right? Generally, that's what we call it, Clorox. That's right. We don't usually say bleach. We say Clorox. Why? Because when my grandmother used to tell me to go to the store 40 years ago, she'd tell me to buy Clorox. That's right. Okay? Yep. Literally in Spanish, Cloro. <laughs> that's what she would tell me. So to me, bleach, I'm supposing that bleach is a chemical formula and that they all have to be just about exactly the same, right? You could add lemon to it. You can add lavender to it. You can do all sorts of interesting things to it, but at the end of the day, it's still bleach, right? But we buy Clorox. What do I buy in my house? I buy Clorox because my grandmother used it, my mother used it, and now I'm using it, okay? And we do that for a lot of things. So if you achieve that level of Cologuard, everybody knows what Cologuard is. And they're going to keep calling it that. Mm. If you achieve that level of branding, so the MOD, MOI, DX, you know, that Guardians 360, for example, may also have foundation, may have a similar test to Guardian 360, but foundation is actually listed in MCG. It's a lot harder for Guardian 360 to break in if foundation is actually labeled in there. Right. Right? So perhaps when you're doing appeals, you say our Guardian 360 test XYZ is the equivalent of the foundation test listed in MCG guideline A01234. Mm. Right? Yeah. And, and that's how you get some of those overturned because... It's basically, 
it's like going to LabCorp on a request. I mean, they're both going to do a CBC. Right. Right? I mean, is the CBC any different? I doubt it. I'm sure they're, they're not statistically, you know, there's no statistical difference. Are they slightly different? I don't know. They could be. But it's a company that uses a machine that tells you what your hematocrit, what your hemoglobin, what your white count is, and what your platelet count is. That's what it's going to spit out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, that's interesting because um, with your experience with, um, quite frankly, quite frankly, fielding the appeals uh, for many uh, tests and pr procedures, I think that's what's influenced you with the guidelines and the professional societies and MCG or whomever, uh, NCCN, because that is a good way for companies to not only brand themselves, but to overcome initial hurdles for coverage because um, the appeals or the denials will be overturned if or when they get into those guidelines. And that's true. That is absolutely the case. That's great. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're, we have to deal with what we call evidence-based medicine. Right? So does everybody. Right? So if the evidence, and, and you've got MCG, you've got the NCDs, the LCDs, MCG, NCCN, Interqual, Haze. I don't, you know, not a lot of people use Haze, Perry. They're okay. MCG is the biggie. Interqual was actually developed by McKesson to be used in a hospital setting. And so while the hospitals would love for you to use Interqual, most health plans use MCG. There's also uh, decision-making software called UpToDate. And then UpToDate is literally that, UpToDate. So by the time something gets into MCG or an LCD, or, I mean, it's been five years, right? Can you imagine somebody's got to take all that information, discern it, quote the right footnotes, you know, do the research, and then, yep, okay, this is in the guideline. Whereas UpToDate takes literally the latest published articles and says, yes, this is now being, you know, a lot of ENTs are using sinoplasty. You know, probably 50% of them are using uh, sinoplasties instead of just cut and cauterize. Um, and the studies have shown that the success rate is equal to or better than just cauterization, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well... If up to date is telling us that they've quoted this many studies and they're studied and they quote them, <laughs> you can literally copy and paste them, then I really have a hard time arguing with that ENT about not covering his sinuplasty. Particularly since a lot of them will go to those published articles and say, look, it says right here, <laughs> you know, by the school of whatever, that, you know, that the success rate here is 90%. Right? And then, you, so, so this third-party decision-making software is critical, is critical to getting your test approved. What does your test do? How does it change clinical? So right in those guidelines, it'll tell you that your test is changing clinical management because it is, it is advocating for this treatment. And this treatment has proven to be as effective or better than the previous treatments advocated by whomever. So how, right? so how do people engage with the up-to-dates of the world? Or can they? 
you you can and you can engage with MCG, but you can imagine that MCG doesn't really want to hear from the lab companies, right? They want the published articles, the unbiased, peer-reviewed published articles. So I would encourage the diagnostic companies to share their data with the university of whatever and help them publish that's hard to do because then you have to list yourself as part of the publisher and you work for the drug company or the diagnostic company, right? So that always has bias. So you want to encourage the peer-reviewed articles in whatever journal it might be. So the journals of oncology for oncology, um, you know, colon, colon cancer for colon. I mean, the appropriate studious body, if I may just call them that. Right. I don't just want to see the studies from the diagnostic lab company, Perry, because that is just, it's prejudiced. You know, it's like your friend owns the Greek restaurant and you, and then somebody comes and asks you, well, what's the best Greek food in your neighborhood? Oh, Joe Schmo right over here. He's got the best Greek food for sure. Well, well I'm not saying it's not good. And, and, and knowing you, Perry, it probably is the best Greek food in town, but... But it's not going to be. But you have to admit that it's not going to be. You have a bias. Yeah, it's not going to be Joe Schmo though. It's going to be Nicholas. It's, you know, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'll I'll even give you that. But the point is, is that you would have to put the footnote in there that says uh, Perry Demas went to the fourth grade with this guy, and you know he's known him since he started this restaurant in 1962, and uh, you know that's what that's. Yeah. So that you may or may not have an obvious bias. And if you state that bias, that's one thing. But if you lead the public to believe there's no bias, that's the problem. Got you. Yep. Okay. I think the issue that we talked over the phone, um, the, the breakthrough, it's so hard, right? I mean, to be so well, different. In, it's hard. But so, again, why innovate, right? I mean... You have to invest in the future today. That is, by definition, what innovation means, right? You take advantage of market inefficiencies, and there's plenty of those. And, you you know, I guess at the end of the day, we, want, we do want to make the world a better place. I mean, we're all, I want to see, and I say that every, at every one of our, you know, forums, I want to pay for your tests. I want this to make the world a better place. I really believe in this but you are not there yeah. yet. No, and I, I appreciate right? that, Carmen, because I believe that is your um, desire, is that you yeah. do want to um, help people get to the uh, place where they are successful, and especially if it's beneficial to um, accelerate you know, precision medicine, then you're all for it. And I appreciate you helping those people think it through, though, as far as, well, you know, do the hard work initially. Um, know that it's going to probably take a lot longer than what you anticipate. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's worth it. So that's great. Some, something that we might do, Perry, and I've often thought of this, is we need to have a group that has a back door. And I don't know how to do this, but I think that, we just have to develop the relationship with MCG in particular. CMS would be most helpful, but we just about would have to hire somebody who used to work for CMS to do that. Um, 
we need to be able to, if we could backdoor some of these diagnostic tests, just they're not going to approve them because we say so. But if we could get it to their desk, right, right, and say, look, can you at least take a look at this? And it's, we think it's as good or better than whomever or whatever, right? That's where I think that we access DX, and by that I mean you, uh, <laughs> could, could make a difference. If we could channel that for them, facilitate that for them, that would give this company, this forum, this, you know, what you want in the world, that's probably what you stay up dreaming about, okay, is back channeling this having the ability like literally bringing that to the table right that right? would be bring ideal. that to the table yeah. that would be ideal yeah. right and so yeah I, I i think that that's important that's good for sure yeah well really carmen thanks i appreciate your time and uh, it's always great to talk with you thank you again perry it's been wonderful and uh i love working with you You've been listening to The Promise of Personalized Medicine, produced by Amplify Podcasts and original music by Jake Demas. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love to hear from you with a rating or a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.